Good morning. I'm Thad Lanthrop, the executive pastor here at CIV, and we're continuing on in our Back to the Basics message series where we're looking at practicing the fundamentals of the Christian life. Spring training for baseball started this week, and I grew up playing baseball. I love it. But baseball players are creatures of habit. They do the same thing over and over again. They show up hours before a game, and they practice fielding ground balls like this guy or fielding fly balls or taking batting practice. All of these things, they're not glamorous things to do, but when you do them over and over and over again, you develop the muscle memory to just react when it comes game time and make incredible plays. But it's easy to not see how those little things are building up over time to make you into a good player. It's easy to want to slack off and not do them. But when you do that, your game starts to slip. It's the same thing in the Christian life. There are things, habits, basics that we need to keep practicing over and over and over again that will result in us staying on track with God, staying on track spiritually growing and thriving in our life. And one of those things is daily time with God. We're looking at all of these habits in this message series, but today we're looking at daily time with God. In the first message, we looked at the foundation for the Christian faith, how Jesus Christ died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, like it says in Romans 3.23. And that created this separation between us and a perfect holy God. And Jesus died on the cross, made a bridge for us to have a relationship with God. And when you choose to commit and trust and and put your faith in Christ and say, I'm going to live life your way, our relationship with God can be restored. And like any relationship, we need to spend time investing in the relationship, talking to God and him talking to us so that our relationship can grow and thrive. And Jesus gave us a great example of how important it is to spend daily time with God. Look at how he started his day here in Mark 1, 35. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I love how this is very early in the morning, and then it goes on to clarify, while it was still dark. Some of us might think 7 a.m., 8 a.m. is an early morning, but this clarifies. It was before the sun was up. Dark's important in my house. I have a three-year-old. He can't tell time yet, and sometimes he wakes up a little too early the other this last week, he got me up and I, wa- I was walking out into the living room and I finally looked at the clock. I said, 4 a.m. I said, it's too early, bud. We got to go back upstairs. See, it's still dark outside. The dark helps me to get him back in bed. But what we see when it says while it was still dark is this was the first thing that Jesus did. With his day. That's how high of a priority it was for Jesus to start his day off with time with God. 
And a couple other things we see is he left the house. He got away from people and he got to a solitary place where he could focus on praying and talking with his father. A few years ago, I read a book called Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. And the, the premise of the book is basically that they use the metaphor of the frog for the really important things that we need to do each day. And a lot of times those can get pushed off. They get We get interrupted with littler things that aren't as big of a deal, or there's easier things that we want to get done, and so we do those instead. But the the book said you need to eat the frog the first thing every day. You might get interrupted, but then you keep coming back to that big frog, that important frog that you need to get done each day. Jesus is showing us right here that the most important thing we can do, the highest priority that we need to do with our day is spend time with God. So how do we do that? How do we spend time with God? Well, we pray like Jesus is talking about here in Mark one thirty-five, and Matt talked about that last week. He talked about how we can pray. You can watch that on our YouTube channel if you missed it, churchofthevalley.com slash YouTube. You can look look that up. But we don't just pray. We read the Bible also because God speaks to us through the Bible. This is how we get to know him and how we get to know his way of life. Look at 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. It says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here we see that the Bible can teach us, can rebuke us, can correct us, can train us in righteousness. And all of this so that we can live life God's way. We can do every good work that comes our way. Now, I want to take some time looking at this verse because it is so key to practicing this basic of spending daily time with God. It says all scripture is God breathed. Other translations of the Bible will uh, translate that as inspired by God. So what this is saying, what it is claiming is that every word in the Bible, is God speaking to us through the authors. It's God's words. It's it's inspired by him, and it speaks to us to correct us, to rebuke us, to train us in righteousness, to teach us. So how can we know that this is true? How how do we know that this the Bible really is God-breathed? I'm going to use um, Wayne Grudem's authority of the scripture and these points that he has in his, his book, Systematic Theology, to help us to understand how we know that the Bible is God's word. So take a look at this first point. The first point is the Bible says that it is the word of God. And we just saw that claim is God breathed. And there's claims all throughout the scripture where the Bible claims that it is God's word. God is revealing himself to us through the Bible. The second point is we are convinced of the Bible's claims to be God's words as we read the Bible. See, as we read the Bible, 
the Holy Spirit convicts us. It shows us that the Bible is true. And as we read it and take it seriously enough to obey it, that's putting our faith into it and saying, you know what, God, I want to do, I want to go life this way, but you're saying to live this way. I'm going to trust that that is going to work out better for me. As we do that and God comes through, we see that this is real. This is God's word spoken to us. The third thing that we see is that there's other evidence that's useful, but it's not finally convincing for us. We can look here at things like dinosaurs. My son JB loves dinosaurs. Some of his first words were triceratops, and he loves to say stygimolic. I don't even know what that dinosaur looks like. Um, so he loves dinosaurs. And my wife bought a DVD, dinosaur DVD, from a group, a ministry called Answers in Genesis. And we watched it the other night. It was a little old for JB, but it was great for me and the, the older kids. And one of the ways that the Bible gets assaulted is on the story of creation and the timeline of the age of the earth. Evolution is taught in the public schools. It's, it's considered absurd to think that they should teach about an intelligent designer, a creator, God. It's just dismissed as nonsense. For evolution to occur, the, the age of the earth is often said to be 4.5 billion years old. Well, the Bible's age of the earth is about 6,000 years old. And we get to that, look at this chart, we get to that by backtracking all the, the dates and how old people are. Adam was created and had a son, Seth, when he was 130 years old. Seth's son, Enos, was born when Seth was 105. And that puts the earth around 235 years old. And you can go so on and so on and so on until you, you see that the earth is a little over 6,000 years old. So back to fossils and dinosaur fossils. How fossils are made is incredible. My family and I, we went to the uh, Petrified National Forest this summer. Here's a picture of that. And we learned a little bit about how fossils are, are made. You see, if a tree just falls down in the forest, it's not going to become a fossil because bugs are going to eat it. Animals might dig it out and live in there. And it's just going to eventually disintegrate it back into the earth. For fossils to be made, there has to be some sort of event where they get covered up really quickly by mud or some other substance. That is how we've gotten all these dinosaur bones. And, and that's how this petrified forest was made. They were covered quickly with mud, and then it was excavated, and you could see all these fat fossilized trees. And so what's interesting about that is that sounds an awful like what would happen if there was a flood over the whole earth. See, 4,300 years ago, the Bible talks about Noah's Ark and the flood. And what is interesting about dinosaur fossils is that in 1995, Dr. Mary Schweitzer and her team found in, intact blood vessels and red blood cells in a T-Rex bone. And in fact, scientists have been finding for decades soft tissue in these fossils that they're finding. There can't be intact blood vessels or fossils in 
dinosaurs if they were millions of years old. The timeline fits the timeline of the Bible. These blood vessels, this soft tissue, that's thousands of years old, not millions, like we're taught in schools and when we go to history museums. It's amazing. It's amazing where the evidence leads. It leads to showing us the history of the Bible is true and accurate. Now, again, like our third point says, that's not necessarily convincing that the Bible is true. It's more circumstantial evidence and pointing uh, towards the, the reality of the timeline of the earth. But it's helpful. It's helpful for us to see. I, I have kind of just... I had put dinosaurs away in my mind of not really thinking, I don't know how that fits into the story of creation and, and the Bible. But it fits when you start to look at the facts and see where they lead. The fourth point on the authority of the scripture is the words of scripture are self-attesting. This is to say that you cannot prove God's words by appealing to some other higher authority. You see, the Bible is God's word. It is the ultimate authority. And so you can't say that I'm going to use logic to prove that the Bible is God's word, because then you would be making logic the higher authority than the Bible itself. And so what this gets us to think is that well, isn't that a circular argument? That's an objection about how we know the Bible is God's word. And you know what? If we do say we believe the Bible is God's word because it claims to be God's word, that is a circular argument. And it's a kind of circular argument. But that doesn't mean that it's not true. Because that circular argument is consistent with arguments that say they are the ultimate authority. If I'm going to say that logic is the ultimate authority, that is the absolute truth, then at some point I get to making the statement that logic is the ultimate authority because logic says that it's the ultimate authority. All of this is to say we can look at the historical facts of the Bible. We can look at how the books were chosen and included in the Bible, which is called the canon of the scripture. We can be confident in that. We're not getting into that right now. We can look at the prophecies and how they were 100% fulfilled, 100% accurate. We can look at dinosaurs. We can look at all of these things. But ultimately, we become convinced that the Bible is God's word because it says it is. And the Holy Spirit convinces us of the truth as we read it. Jesus said, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So if you haven't yet come into relationship with, with God, you haven't restored that relationship through Jesus Christ, then I want to encourage you, pray and ask God to reveal himself to you through the Bible. Ask for his helper, the Holy Spirit, to reveal himself to you. 
reveal that the Bible is God's word. You can trust it and base your life on it, and you will have a restored relationship with him. The Bible's trustworthy. It is the inspired word of God. It is God speaking to us to teach us, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, when we talk about teaching here, it's talking about what we can learn. We can learn so much from the Bible, the doctrine, the way we should live. And then rebuking, that that's more like sometimes, you know what, we just need to get hit upside the head with some truth from the Bible because we're, we're pursuing life our own way. We're not going God's way. And we might know it. So God will use the Bible to just smack us upside the head and get us in line. Also, correcting. This has the idea of like a restoration to it, this word does, in the original Greek that it was was written to. It's like a nudge. It's getting us along the right way, the right path. little correction. And then training in righteousness. This is the process of God showing us and teaching us and, and molding us into living life the righteous way. So we can approach the word of God with these things in mind, with confidence that it is God-inspired, God-breathed, Him speaking to us, to teach us, correct us, rebuke us, and train us in righteousness. But how how do we practically do that? And we're going to spend some time right now looking at how we can practically spend time with God each day. Here's a plan that can just take seven minutes. It can take seven minutes. You can expand it to take longer if you read more of the Bible. And I know for for some of you, this is going to be a review. But you know what? If you're like me, I need review. As I've been getting ready for this message, I've realized that just my Asian stage of life, it's hard to get time alone with God. And usually I'm doing my quiet, my time with God in the middle of my kids and what's going on, and I have not been practicing taking notes and writing down what God is showing me, revealing to me, speaking to me about, and I need to get back in that habit. So whether you've seen this a bunch of times or it's new to you, I want to encourage you to to see, to look and see what you can get out of us practicing this seven minutes with God together. So what you'll need for this is a Bible, a notebook, and a pen. You don't need it right now. Um, but as you practice this daily habit of time with God, it's helpful to have those things. And your seven minutes with God looks like this. 30 seconds of prayer just for guidance, asking God to help you focus, asking God to, to reveal himself to you and to show you how to put into practice uh, his word. The next thing is about four minutes of of reading the Bible. And when you're reading the Bible, you want to read a section, and then you want to ask some questions. Ask space. And the acrostic here is, is there a sin to confess? You know, is God rebuking me somewhere in the Bible this morning? Is there a promise to claim? God teaching me something about his promises and the way that I need to live to experience his promises. Is there an attitude to change? Is God correcting me and trying to get me to to change my attitude? Is there a command to obey? 
again, what's God teaching me here that I need to obey and put into practice? And then is there an example to follow? Maybe you're reading a story about someone and they have great faith or they have great discernment or whatever it may be, and you want to follow their example. So you ask those questions. That will help you to keep 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 in mind as you're reading the Bible. And then spend two, two and a half minutes in prayer just asking God to help you to put into practice the Bible reading that you, you've just had. And maybe there's a sin to confess and ask and clear up with, with God. So we're going to just take a little time right now and do a seven minutes with God together. So let's, let's do this. The first thing is we're going to pray. And so um, we're going to pray and just ask God to, to help us to focus and be able to do this right now. God, we just pray that you would uh, help us to focus on your word, the Bible, and that you would speak to us right now through your word. Now, something that is helpful for me when I'm sitting down to have my quiet time is to have either a notebook or maybe the notes open on my phone that I can write down the to-do list items that pop into my head when I'm reading the Bible. Because pretty much every time I read the Bible, I'm, I start getting distracted with the things that I need to do during the day. And then I'm thinking about those things because I don't want to forget them. So if I have something to write down, I can just write down a little note, and that helps me to stay focused on the Bible reading. So we're going to uh, write uh, the date up here at the top of the page so that we can know the date. And if we ever go back and look at our notes, we, we have that there. And then we're going to be looking at Psalm 1. So I like to write Psalm 1, and then I can take my notes underneath so I know where to find that in the Bible. So let's look at Psalm 1 together. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So you read that passage of scripture and then you start asking, is there a sin to confess here in this passage of Scripture. And something that might come up in your mind in this is maybe you've been listening to the wrong counsel lately and trusting in that more than trusting in God and His Word and the people that He's put around us that know God and His Word. You know, last summer I, I felt that way. I was trusting too much in all the numbers about COVID and, and trying to uh, figure out what, what do we need to do as a family, as a church, and things like that. And it was building up this anxiety in me. And so I had to just confess that I wasn't trusting in God. So that might be a note that you write down that, you know, I'm, I am not trusting God with you know, or I'm I'm trusting in a, a counsel 
uh, of wicked rather than trusting in the counsel of God. It might be a sin to confess a promise to claim. There's a bunch of promises to claim in this passage. So maybe the promise that you want to hold on to is if I delight in the law of the Lord, the Bible, uh, and, and living life God's way, then I'm, I'm planted like a tree firmly next to a stream of water. Maybe that is the promise you want to claim. And so maybe you write delight in law of the Lord equals strong, firm foundation. And so... We're not going to go through all the questions, but you can see what what that those questions do is they help draw out what you can learn from the from the passage, and they help you to discern what does God want me to do with this passage of scripture that I'm reading. And then after you've done that, you pray to close, and you pray and you ask God for help to maybe trust Him more and and not give in to the counsel that you've been trusting in or you ask God help me to figure out what it means to delight in the law of the Lord how to delight in the Bible how do I do that show me God and you you pray and ask him to show you how to do that the creator God of the universe is speaking to us like in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 all scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Time with God must be a top priority for us. It's a necessity. It's not a I'll get to it when I have time kind of thing. You know, in March, it's going to be a year since we have been on these lockdown orders due to COVID. We've we're living in an uncertain time, and it continues to be uncertain, much longer than than I thought, I think, than anybody thought. I'm supposed to go to New Orleans next week for a conference, and I keep wondering, is this really going to happen? And it's only, you know, a few days away. It's just unsettling, all of it. But last year, I was letting that uncertainty get to me, and it was in my daily time with God, that God corrected me, nudged me, helped me along, gave me encouragement and strength and courage to keep moving forward. I was getting overwhelmed with all the questions and thoughts of what do I need to do to take care of my family during all of this? What what do we need to do for church life? You know, How are we going to take care of people with everything shut down? How much... Uh, do we do in person for church? How are my kids doing in all of this? How am I feeling about all this? I don't even know how, how I was feeling. But God kept reminding me my time with him. He kept bringing me back and my verse, my theme verse for the year was First Peter 5, 6, and 7. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. A lot of my time with God was me 
casting my anxieties on him, all the uncertainties of things going on. I, I was literally visualizing throwing them to God and letting him take care of them because he cares for me. And when they creep back up again, I'd cast them on him again. And God strengthened me in my inner person in that time. And that's what happens when we spend consistent daily time with God. He cares for us. He encourages us. He shows us the right way to go in the middle of all this uncertainty. He is the strong foundation that we can hold on to in the middle of whatever is going on. And so we must make daily time with God a priority in our lives. So what next step do you need to take in response to the the message today? Each week we have next steps that we encourage people to take. Maybe there's something specific God has shown you, or there might be one of these three next steps that you want to take. The first next step is I'm going to spend seven minutes with God Fill in the blank how many times this week. How many times can you spend practicing this basic time with God, the seven minutes model with God? The next step might be to buy a scripture journal. Maybe you're ready to mix up what you're doing, and so you want to do something a little differently. This is a scripture journal. This is Psalms. It's huge um, because it's Psalms, but... You have the the scripture on this side and then a blank page on that side. You can take notes, write notes um, throughout the whole thing. That might be something different that you want to do to get over the mundane feeling about the spending time with God. Or maybe your next step is just to make my time with God the first thing I do each day. If you get interrupted, you come back to it until you get it done. Maybe that's your next step today. Would you pray with me as we ask for God's help in putting this into practice? God, we thank you so much that you you love us so much that you revealed yourself through the Bible and you speak to us through it, helping us to choose to live life your way. I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to spend quality time with you this week, that you'd speak to us, that we'd respond, that we'd choose to put our faith and trust in you and Put into practice the things that you show us. Help us, Lord, to do this. And we pray and ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.